go to Luke chapter number 15. And today we are talking about the joy of Jesus, the joy of Jesus. This week we had an, an incredible week of Vacation Bible School. Uh, There's a bunch of kids and workers, in fact, a couple hundred, 250 people, I think, involved overall. So it's a great week. But uh, if you know anything about Vacation Bible School around here, uh, Mark does our music for us over here. And, uh, and what he does is he does some songs that are special and unique to Vacation Bible School that he says he puts them away in the when the week's done, it's over. And the vault doesn't get open until next year. And so when you're thinking about these songs, one of the songs that we sing at Vacation Bible School is, I've got joy down in my heart, deep, deep down in my heart. J-O-I. You know, uh, and uh, it, I, I go home at night and these songs keep me up at night. But uh, J-O-I, down in my heart. And, and, and usually when we think about the joy uh, that, that, that we experience, we talk about our joy. You know, that Jesus Christ is our joy. And I'm so thankful to God that we have joy because of Jesus Christ. That no matter what my circumstance, no matter what my situation, I can have joy. Now, I can forfeit my joy uh, through sin. I can forfeit uh, my joy. Uh, but it's available to us as believers. The joy of the Lord because Jesus Christ is our joy. And I'm grateful for that. But have you ever thought about this one? What is the joy of Jesus? What brings him joy? What brings the heart of Jesus Christ joy? Well, the Bible says a couple of different places. Hebrews chapter 12 and in verse number two, the Bible says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so when you're talking about Jesus Christ, uh, what brings him joy is sinners coming to repentance and being saved. The cross was enough for the salvation of sinners. And so, and so when people get saved, it brings the heart of Jesus Christ's joy, his mission. In fact, the Bible says in Luke chapter 19, if you go a few chapters over, we're gonna be in Luke 15, but in Luke 19, there's the story of Zacchaeus. Remember the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man, the wee little man was he, climbed a sycamore tree. And uh, uh, there's a statement that happens in that story. And the statement is this, Luke 19 and verse number 10 really summarized the mission of Jesus Christ. For the son of man has come to seek and to save the lost. And so when you're talking about what brings joy to Jesus Christ, well, his mission was all about reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, when sinners come to repentance, it brings joy in his presence, even in the heavenlies. And we're going to get there in just a minute. But uh, his joy, when you're talking about Jesus Christ and being a follower of Jesus Christ, his joy should be my joy. His mission should be my mission. I'm one of his children. And uh, in fact, uh, you, I, I read a story this week about D.L. Moody. Some of you know D.L. Moody and uh, uh, Moody Bible Institute. Today we know the Mo Moody Bible Institute. Well, here's how it came about. So D.L. Moody was born uh, uh, up in a small town in Massachusetts. And, and he, was, he was really, uh, he was from a large family. And, uh, and, and what happened to him is at 17 years old, he got just disgusted. I'm gonna get away from home. I'm gonna go to the big city. And he went to the big city with big hopes and big dreams, and they all came crashing down around him. And so here he was in the city of Boston, and he had an uncle that reached out to him. And an uncle said, hey, why don't you come work for me? I'll take care of you. And so he started selling shoes in the city of Boston. But his uncle said, there's only one thing I'm asking of you. I want you to go to church with me. 
And so he started going to church at 17 years old. He started going to church and, and there was a connection. A Sunday school teacher led him to Jesus Christ. And, 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 and D.L. Moody got a heart that got hot for God and he wanted to reach people. And so a couple of years later, he said, man, I'm going to go to another city. I'm going to go to the city of Chicago. And in the city of Chicago, I want to reach out to those that are just not being reached. I want to reach out to those that just seem to be unlovable street kids. And he started what we would call a, a Sunday school. They recognized it as a, as a Sunday school class. But what was once a Sunday school class became a church, which today we know it as the Moody Bible Institute even. I mean, I mean, what God did through him was reach people that many churches weren't reaching. In fact, as the story goes, there was a young man one day that was walking and he walked several miles just to come to old Moody's Sunday school class. And he would pass by several churches and the young man was asked one day, why in the world do you walk so many miles and pass so many churches to go down to Moody's church? And he said, because down there they know how to love people. God help us to love people. You know, you know, when you think about the church and you think about the joy, what brings joy to the heart of Jesus Christ and the mission that he was about, do you know that there are some, some professing followers of God that don't have the heart? In other, words, in other words, there are some that would say this. There were some that would make this statement. Hey, hey, you know, I'm just happy uh, being able to know everybody. Even though we're in the middle of a growing community and thousands of people are moving in on top of us, I'm really happy with just a few folks where I get to know them. When at the end of the day, it's not important if you know them or if they know you. What's important is that they know Jesus and if we're loving people and loving the lost, you're going to find new people coming. And you've got to embrace that and say, man, I want to reach people with the gospel. You know, sometimes what we do is we, we, we have what I would call, sometimes churches are plagued with this, plagued with what I would call incestuous ministry. In other words, man, it's all about my kids and my family. And the fact of the matter is there are so many people that need to know that Jesus loves them. This has been a problem plaguing the church historically. Jesus Christ is dealing with religious experts in this passage of scripture. Luke chapter number 15. In Luke chapter number 15, he's addressing a specific problem. Now watch what happens here in this chapter. The Bible begins, Luke 15, verse number one. <clears throat> Here's the problem. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. But the Pharisees and the scribes, in other words, the religious experts, they began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. They were upset. In other words, they said, man, we just want to be us, our four, no more. And if you come here, I'd rather you just hit the door and don't come back. And there was a problem. And that same problem faces the church today. So Jesus Christ, what he did is he taught them these parables. So this chapter is made up of three different parables. A parable is simply an earthly story with a heavenly message. In other words, Jesus Christ says, I want you to understand something. He's dealing with people that, 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 are, that are religious experts. I've been there, done that, know how it's supposed to work. They're religious experts. 
And he, and he says, I want you to understand how we function. And so he gives these three parables. And a lot of times we'll take these three parables and we'll split them up and we'll separate them and teach them individually. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. But I believe that this is Jesus Christ's response to a single problem. So he's a trilogy of parables saying, hey, I want you to know, first of all, how important these people are to me. And so he gives two parables. I believe the first one's appealing to the men in the crowd. The second one's appealing to the women in the crowd. And so he starts teaching these parables. And he says in verse number four, what man among you, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of the sheep, or, or one of them does not leave the 99 in the open pastures and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And he's not suggesting by the way and here's where we got to be careful with parables is, is, is a lot of times people say there's some people that don't need to repent no everybody needs to repent but there's some that think they don't there's some that, that, that feel like there's righteous and on the outside on the outside they're impeccable but on the inside they're abominable and Jesus is saying hey look man I, I have a heart for these people out here they matter to me in fact, in fact, when you're talking about a, a, a lone sheep that is strayed, a lost sheep that's out there, very vulnerable position. Do you know that lost people, listen, lost people are one heartbeat away from hell? And for the church to say, I don't care whether they come here or not. I don't care whether they know Jesus or not. I just want my ministry here. And he's saying, I want you to understand something. I want you to understand how valuable people are to me. And he starts with this one about a sheep and his, a shepherd and a sheep. But then he says, I, I, I've got another parable. I've got another story for you. And so he, and he, he talks to the ladies. And he says in verse number eight, or what woman, if she has 10 silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp? In other words, he starts out and he's, this coin, by the way, is a coin that would represent a day's wages. So in and of itself wouldn't be that big of a deal. But we believe that what he's talking about is a headband that would be worn by married Jewish women. And, and, and so when you're talking about the 10 coins, it would be like a lady today wearing a wedding band and losing a wedding band. You say, that's pretty, pretty important to that lady and so he's saying, hey, here's a lady that's lost a coin from her headpiece. And, and, and so she's being to search diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it in verse number nine, she calls together her friends and her neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I have found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, watch verse seven and verse 10. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so Jesus Christ is simply saying, I want you to understand the value of people. Do you know, the Bible says this, for God so loved the world, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son Jesus into this world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In other words, while we were still sinners, the Bible says in Romans chapter five and verse eight, while we were still sinners, Christ died for you and me. That's how he demonstrated his love for us. We matter to him. 
matters so much that he would send his son into this world to lay down his life for sinners. And so he's just simply saying, hey, they matter, they matter. So let me tell you a story. And he goes on with what we would call one of the most popular probably parables in all the Bible, the parable of the prodigal son. Remember who he's addressing. He's addressing religious experts that are ticked off because of the lost people coming around. And so he tells a story. So in this story, it really is several scenes unfolding. The first scene is a scene of separation which all of us can relate to. The Bible says, verse number 11, and he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and he went on a journey into, uh, into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. And just talking about, again, separation that was experienced. Interesting when you're talking about raising children, isn't it? Interesting thing, and many of us are parents in here, and, uh, and you're raising up children. Uh, that is the most difficult task in the world, known to people, is raising up children. But isn't it interesting when you have a home, and, and in this home, you have a home where you have uh, two siblings, and, and they just grow up differently, and they go off in different directions, and, and, and one of them is, is, just really has a lot of rebelliousness in his heart. Uh, but as the story unfolds, so did the other one. <laughs> in other words, you know, what, you know what the point is right there off the bat? Is this. <clears throat> when you had a child born to your home, it wasn't an angel. <laughs> All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But there was this separation. There was one that was a rebel. There was one that said, man, I want to go my own direction. I want to go my own way. And so he made the request. And when you're talking about a, a rebel, when you're talking about a prodigal, as we talk about in this story and in life, sometimes, sometimes children will rebel and become prodigals because of mom and dad. In other words, if, if mom and dad come to church and, 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 and on Sunday they act one way and on Monday they act another, in other words, they have a habitual lifestyle that contradicts Christianity. It'll create a little rebel. I want something real. I mean, we go to church and you talk about how much you love Jesus and how everything's honky-dory, and you come home and you cuss out the family. Well, that's a contradiction, and sometimes a kid goes that direction because of mom and dad. But there are sometimes that the kid goes the direction of rebelliousness and a prodigal in spite of mom and dad. In fact, when you look at different stories from Scripture, I mean, think about this one. Adam and Eve was born... They weren't born, they were created and put in the Garden of Eden, had a perfect father, perfect home, and they still sinned against them. And, uh, but when you're talking about a prodigal, you know what the prodigal's doing here? You know what the prodigal's saying? He's saying this. He said, hey, there was a guy that went to a distant land. And, and, and what do you mean a distant land? Some people will, will say, well, here's where he traveled to, and they'll try to track and, and get a map out and say, here's where he tried to travel. I, I believe this. Whenever you're talking about a prodigal, whenever you're talking about rebelliousness, it's not measured by the miles that they stray, but the morals in their heart. They can live under your roof and still be morally way out there. 
And so he says, hey, he, he went to his father. And you know what he said basically to his dad? Basically to his father, he was saying this. Hey, I, you, you're better off dead to me. I just, I just want my goods. I want what's mine from you. I'm tired of hearing. I'm tired of hearing I want you to go to church. I'm tired of hearing what time to come home. I'm tired of hearing what to wear, what to listen to, what to watch. I want to be me. Just give me my goods. You're better off dead to me. That's the heart of the prodigal. You know, the Bible teaches that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Can you imagine the scene? And some of us can imagine that scene. Can you imagine a scene that night when a young man gets what's his and says, I'm gonna go at it alone. And the freedoms that he felt right off the bat. Don't you know that first night away from home? Wow, nobody telling me what to do. I'm my own man. But it wasn't long. It wasn't long before he had a train wreck. Imagine a father and mother with first night with a lump in the throat, tears on the cheeks, and just wondering, will my son ever come home? Will my daughter ever come home? You know, maybe you're here today and maybe you've got a prodigal or a rebel in your household. You know, there's hope as long as there's Jesus Christ. There's hope. You know, introduce you to somebody. As the story goes, there was a fellow that was raised in a Christian home, godly, godly mother, godly father, incredible home, went off to school, wanted to do his own thing, become his own man. Went to school, went to college, and got kicked out of college because he couldn't handle himself. He couldn't handle the alcohol, couldn't handle liquor, liquor, couldn't handle the women. Got angry at the world, so he started fighting. Arrested multiple times, brought to the county jail. And today, Franklin Graham, Franklin Graham, why are you saying that? Because there's hope. If you're mom and dad, there's hope. There's separation in the story. That's where it begins. The boy goes his own direction, does his own thing, but before long he hits rock bottom. That's what happened to him along the way. You know, it's amazing what takes place. The Bible begins in 14 and talks about the conviction in the heart. It says, now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went out and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods uh, that the swine were eating. No one was giving him anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I'm dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired 
men. Conviction sat into his heart. What was the conviction? It was a combination of two things. It was a combination, number one, of how bad life had gotten for him. But number two, how good his father was. You see, in the world, if they don't know about Jesus Christ, all they have is how bad life is. But as long as there's Jesus, we can say how good he is. So conviction sets into his heart. The Bible says over in 2 Corinthians chapter number seven, verses eight through 10. 2 Corinthians chapter seven, verses number eight through 10. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow, though only for a while. I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For, you were, for, for that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Uh, for the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to the salvation, uh, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And so he's just simply saying, hey, listen, when you get to the point where conviction leads to repentance, what a blessing that is. You know what happened to this guy? This guy had embraced the lures that the world had thrown at him. And the world is so good at throwing lures out there. The world is so good at saying, hey, do you really want to live life? Then live it up. Let the good times roll. And you know what the problem is? Oftentimes when you let the good times roll, your life will roll away with it. I mean, that's just what happens. When you, when you look at the world and what the world is saying, the world is saying, hey, if you really want a good time, go get drunk. Just go have a beer. Include that in your party and you really have a good time. You know what it doesn't show? It doesn't, it, it doesn't show the hangover. It doesn't show the father or the mother who are beating on one another. It doesn't show the child abuse that oftentimes follows. It just says, hey, you want a good time? Live it up, live it up. Sexual promiscuity. We got television shows out there. Just go try them out. It doesn't, it doesn't, show, it doesn't show a girl who feels like a piece of dirt, who lives life of regret, or a young man. Just says, let the good times roll. And this young man, he embraced that lifestyle. But it wasn't long before he was broken. And you know what I'm so thankful for? The Bible says in Psalm 51, verse 17, David said it this way. Man, the sacrifices of God are broken in a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. David did such a phenomenal job at articulating the feelings that are felt. In other words, he said it like this. David, who had sinned greatly against God. You know, the story of David, when you're talking about David, David was the one that committed adultery. He committed murder. He struggled, just like everybody else. But when he articulated through one of his psalms, Psalm 51, he said it like this. He said, oh God, created me a clean heart. Take not your presence from me. You know what sin does? Sin has a way of making us feel dirty. Sin has a way of making us feel alone and separated. And that boy hit rock bottom. And when he hit rock bottom, he repented. He repented. There was conviction to set into his heart. And he repented. What do you mean by repent? He was where he was, but he got up from where he was and he went back home. And you know when he came home, guess what? He didn't bring pigs with him. 
In other words, a lot of times what we do is we want God and we want the blessings of God, but we want to continue to live. And that's just not how it works. He says, repent, repent, turn away from that stuff, come to me. And that's exactly what we see. He comes to Jesus, and by the way, he didn't clean himself up before he got there. His daddy took care of that. We see the conversion to happen 20 and following. So he got up, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate conversion, repentance, restoration, phenomenal story. You know what happens when we are converted, when we get right with God? There's a change that happens. You know how come change happens for the believer? You know why change happens? Because the Bible says it like this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 17 says, If any man's in Christ, he's a new creature Every creature has a unique nature. And do you know that as a believer, I have a new nature within me? I have a nature that wants to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, that wants to do what God calls me to do. We still have that struggle that goes on in our hearts because we have that old flesh that we're crucifying every day, but we've got a new nature, and that new nature brings about change from the inside, not from the outside. I don't do what I do because you expect me to do it or others expect me to do it. I do what I do because the Holy Spirit of God leads me on the inside. A change, a change happens, a change in direction. There's a confession that goes along with it. This, this young man, it's interesting when you look at the story because he, he, was, he was practicing, he was rehearsing. When I see daddy, this is what I'm gonna say. And have you ever done that before? <laughs> you ever been in trouble and, and like, man, wait till your daddy gets home and, and the whole time, boy, I'm sitting there thinking, what am I gonna say to my daddy? Make this make sense to him. And uh, uh, so, so he says he's got this whole thing rehearsed, but at the end of the day, he doesn't get to tell the whole story that he wanted to say. All he said is, man, I am messed up, dad. And his dad was quick to forgive him. Didn't need to hear anything else. He was quick to forgive him. Aren't you thankful we have a father like that in heaven? Quick to forgive me. And he forgave him. But there was confession that was made. And that's one, of those, that's one of those verses in the Bible that I am so grateful to God for. First John 1, 9. You know, the Bible has so many different verses of Scripture, and it's all good, right? It's all good. But there's some, there's some that are just kind of like that extra special. They're kind of like that chocolate with caramel on the inside. You know what I'm saying? Not a strawberry, but a caramel on the inside. It's extra special. And First John 1, 9 is... One of those, I think, says if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You ever been here before? You ever believed a lie from the devil that I have done so much and I am so far that God wouldn't forgive me? That's not true. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. No matter where you are, no matter how far you feel you've strayed, 
God knows and he loves you. There's a confession that's involved, followed by the celebration. You know, when we repent of our sins, there is a celebration that we have, we rejoice in. Acts chapter three, verse number 19, Acts three, verse 19, therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And that's exactly what happens when we repent of our sins, man. It's exciting to be able to say, man, I'm clean. I'm clean. A new beginning today with repentance. I'm clean. I'm clean. This story is an interesting story. There's so many directions, so many different lessons we can pull from this story. But I think one of the, one of the interesting stories, one of the pictures that, are, that, that Jesus Christ is painting, remember who he's talking to, right? For a minute. He's talking to religious experts. He's talking to people who are legalistic. He's talking to people who don't see their own faults, but they can see clearly everybody else's. And so when you're talking about this story here, in this story, they, they hear, they hear uh, uh, that there's a son that's a rebel. There's a son that's a prodigal. And so they go back to the law, right? They go back to the law. And you know what the law says? If you go back to Deuteronomy, in the book of Deuteronomy, the Bible says this, Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 and following. The Bible says, if any man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey his father or his mother, and when they chastise him, he will not even listen to them, then, then his father and his mother shall seize him and bring him out to the elders of the city at the gateway of his hometown. They shall say to the elders of the city, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He's a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death. So you shall remove the evil from your midst. And all Israel will hear and fear. You know what's interesting in this story? He's talking to people that immediately would have said, man, he needs to be stoned. And Jesus said, hey. But the father ran to him. Any stone you throw at him is going to hit me first. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful that we have a father in heaven who took my punishment for my sin. He paid the price for me and for you on the cross. That's why he went to the cross. That's what the cross is all about. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture of a loving father. Aren't you thankful that we have a father in the story who didn't go and point his finger at the son and say, man, you are such a reprobate, an embarrassment to the family. He didn't go there. He said, hey, will you come home? Will you come home? That's the father. That's the father. The story didn't end there. He's dealing with religious people who didn't have a heart for the lost. says, here's, here's what you guys are. Here's what you are. Now his older son was in the field 
And when he came and approached the house, verse number 25, he heard music and dancing, and he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father's killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28, but he became angry and was not willing to go in. So his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to the father, look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, you know what he's saying? He might be a son of yours, but he's no brother of mine. I don't want him in my family. He doesn't belong here. When this son of yours, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him, and he said to him, son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. You know what this brother was one of those people who on the outside had it all together. Outwardly, he was blameless. Man, all of his life, he went to Sunday school. He came to church on Sunday morning. He sang in the kids' choir. He came to Sunday night. He went to visitation. He went to prayer meeting. He went to youth group. He went to youth camp. He was FCAA on campus. He was in all those places. On the outside, he was perfect but he had a heart that was messed up. And Jesus says, hey, these people matter to me and they ought to matter to you too. They matter to me and they ought to matter to you too. God help us have his heart. God help us to put his heart within us. Oh, I wanna be a people that others would say, you know why I go to that church down there? Because they love people like me. I want to love people. God, help us to be like Jesus Christ. Hey, a couple things. Number one, are you a child of the king? Have you met the father? Ever been a time in your life when you said, man, I am separated from him and I recognize my sin has separated me from him and I want a relationship with God. Only way that can happen is through Jesus Christ, to be born again. And today, if you're here this morning, God loves you, desires intimacy with you. He's standing with his arms wide open saying, won't you come to me? Won't you come to me? If you've never been saved, I'm inviting you to come today. Won't you come today? Maybe here today and you would say, you know what, I know, I know that I've been born again. I know that I'm saved. But boy, I tell you what, I've kind of lived in that lifestyle of the prodigal. God says, come to me today. Come to me today. Won't you come to him today? I would encourage you, maybe you're here this morning and you say, man, I, I have lived that lifestyle. Maybe you're living that lifestyle. I would encourage you to not just come to God, but go home to mom and dad. Say, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me? Be restored.
in the home. I don't know where you are. I don't know what God's doing in your life, but I want to encourage you. Respond obediently to his leadership today. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. After we sing the song, we're going to wait down front for you. If you say, man, I need to pray with somebody. I'd like to talk to somebody. We'll have people across the front. You come this morning. Would you join me for prayer today? Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your love for us. God, I thank you for your goodness to us. God, I thank you for your grace (laughs) that saved us. God, for your grace that keeps us and will carry us home. Lord Jesus, for your patience with us. I thank you for your mercies that are new every day that we desperately need. Thank you. And Father, this morning, I just pray for all of us that you'd examine our hearts, Father. I pray that each and every one of us, as you search our hearts, Father, if there be any of us, God, who don't possess a healthy heart, Lord, when we look at others, that there's some that just don't belong. Oh, God. Give us your eyes. Give us your heart. Help us. Father, I pray, God, I pray for our family that collectively, God, that when people come to this place, they'll know love. Oh, God, help us. Father, I thank you for this time. I pray for those that are here this morning, never been saved, never been born again. God, that your Holy Spirit would breathe life. Lord, we need you today. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the